Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who came within a few days of making an opening day roster. Back in September of 1994, the Major League Players Association went on strike. Subsequently, replacement players were signed to compete during spring training prior to the 1995 Major League season. Once the Major League Baseball Players Association returned before the 95 regular season, replacement players were either sent to the minor leagues or released. Although some would return to Major League Baseball, none of them were ever allowed membership to the Major League Baseball Players Association for crossing the picket line. Todd Whitehurst was one of those players, and he joins us now to talk about his time as a replaced Met. That's the way they were called. They were called the right. replaced yes, Mets. Replace Mets. So welcome, Todd. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. You know, while you never got to the major leagues, you did, in fact, get into a major league dugout as a kid. You actually won the Burger King Pitch, Hit, and Run competition. And for those of our audience who are too young to remember that competition, can you tell us a little bit about it, how you ended up in the San Francisco Giants dugout with Daryl Evans and Mike Sadick? Sure. That was a competition. I, I was playing, uh, I played North County Little League. I uh, grew up in Prunedale, California, a small town. And um, there was a competition. I remember seeing a commercial on TV. Dave Parker was uh, was talking. He was, I think, at least was the Pirates at that time. And he was talking about a competition. And bottom line was that I got into the competition. It was uh, pitching a ball into a net three times running around the bases as fast as you can, and then hitting the ball as far as you can. And so I ended up winning um, a local competition, going to San Jose, winning another competition, and then going to a regional competition in San Francisco. And at that time, there had been, um, you know, more of your bells and whistles, you're on the field, you're decked out in a Giants uniform, um, kind of the five-star treatment. And then um, I ended up scoring high enough where I went to the national competition, which was back in New York. And that final competition was at uh, Abner Doubleday Field, where they held a, a local competition there, and it was in Cooperstown, New York. So one of the one of the things that the Giants honored me with was, hey, you can come back. I think it was a playoff race between the Dodgers and the Giants around 1980, October, and I got to spend the night in the dugout with them. And I'm there before the game. They're, hey, they're saying, hey, go run on the field. I mean, what kid wouldn't want that, you know? I mean, you're looking at these guys like like movie stars and you're starstruck, but but at the same time you're 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 going, "Hey, maybe one day, you know, maybe one day you can take that field um and experience what they're what they're experiencing." And um I got to throw the first pitch of the the baseball game was with uh, Vita Blue, so I got to take the mound with Vita Blue. After I'm in the dugout, you know, talking with Daryl Evans and Mike Sadek, the catcher, and they're joking around with me. So it was just a blast, just a just a fun competition, and and um, spending time in New York and and going to the Baseball Hall of Fame and all the things that came with that competition. It was just fun, and that was the last year that they held the competition. 
Yeah, and, and for those of you that don't remember, there's also the NFL had the punt pass and kick, kick as yeah, well. So they're pretty cool. Which came before right. the baseball, baseball one. obviously. That was the right. Um, you know, and that kind of got you on your road. 1990, you signed with the Cleveland Indians organization where you reported to the 1990 uh, GCL Indians where your manager was Dean Trainer. What was your first impression of rookie ball? And as you're there, did you feel that you, you really had a legitimate shot at becoming a professional Major League Baseball player? Well, it was an interesting time, I think, in my life. I was um, the number one ranked quarterback out of Northern California. Um, I had full rights to go to Cal, Fresno State, Washington State, and I was a pitcher in high school as well. So I was projected to go in the first five rounds. And then what happened, I came down with some tendonitis. Um, the Indians came along, and they said, hey, we just want to draft you as an athlete. We, we think you can play. Um, we short or third or somewhere out there so um getting to florida i mean it was just a, a just a you're just an eye-opener i mean in, in professional baseball and you're 18 years old and you come from a small town and then the next thing you know you're ending up in winter haven florida i think we shared with the with the red sox there and it was the first time where i said wow these guys are good. <laughs> the first time where I'm thinking, okay, now it isn't just showing up and going out there and hitting the ball. It's like, what do I have to do to get better? Because my talent's there, but I'm going to have to work hard. Um, and the first person that put me through a workout was uh, Buddy Bell. And his son, David Bell, was on that team. And, and the, you remember the way he can handle a, handle a glove at third base. And the first exercise he put me through, I mean, he's hitting these machine guns at me, ball after ball after ball after ball after ball, 100 balls. And uh, it was routine for Dave. And I said, hey, if I want to be good, um, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to train like this. I'm going to have to listen. I'm going to have to listen from the, from the veterans and even some of the guys that came down. Um, to rehab. One of them was Keith Hernandez. And he came down, and I'm now taking ground balls at first base. And so just that experience within like the first week, you're just going, hey, wow, this is, I remember seeing you on TV. I remember watching you, um, you know, playing in the World Series. And now you're telling me how to pick balls at first base, how to stand on the bag, how to, you know, lead with my right, how to lead with my left, how to short hop the ball, how to do this, how to do that. So he was very welcoming. But it was, um, but it was there for me. It was just having the opportunity to work hard. And, and um, so the answer is yes, I felt like I could do it. Interesting. You mentioned that. It was a 37-year-old Keith Hernandez who uh, went down after he pulled his hamstring with the Indians, went back down there, rehabbed 17 games, I believe. Uh, he was your teammate down there. But it's interesting you mentioned the talent level. The next season you find yourself in the Appalachian League with the 1991 Burlington Indians where one of your teammates – was a 19-year-old mm -hmm. Manny Ramirez. Uh, what was your first impression yep. of Manny when, when you saw a 19-year-old kid uh, playing ball? Well, I don't, I don't think anybody, and maybe they do, I think the people that have been around Manny and you see him, how hard he works. And when I, when I saw his work ethic coming in as an 18, 19-year-old and coming into rookie ball and seeing the talent and seeing just the – just how natural he was and the power and the strength coming off his bat. It was just, you know, he's a superstar. I mean, you could just see it. You could just feel it. Other guys on the other teams are talking about it. Um, they're saying, hey, this guy can hit a changeup out. He can hit a, um, a fastball out. And just the, the overall talent, you could just, I think he hit like 19 home runs that year. And it was just like one after the other. I mean, the balls are just flying out of the park. 
And um, just a, a real down-to-earth guy, shy at that time, um, not a big talker, but um, would approach you on the side and, and get to know you a little bit personally. Um, that was my experience with him at you know, 18, 19 years old when, you know, they, when they, uh, he was on that yeah, team. That's A.J. Carter. They talk a lot about, as he got older, about things he did, Manny being Manny, mm. the flaky things. Is there anything that you could see yeah. then that was Manny being Manny? <laughs> Um, I think he got caught, talked to just a couple times. There was maybe I think it was just it was it was easy for him. So I think sometimes it looked like he wasn't trying, but actually he was. It was just like you know you see people who run or throw, and it's like wow, it doesn't look like he's throwing the ball. It doesn't look like he's trying to run. And then the next thing he's down, you know, first base four one, or you see a guy throwing. It doesn't look like he's throwing hard, but he's. Popping 95, 97 on the gun, and I think some of that was like, hey, you know, you need to, you know, maybe get under the ball, not catch it on the side, maybe not try to, you know, showboat a little bit. But I think some of it was just his. That was just him. That was just like you're saying, Manny being Manny. But I did. I, there was very little of it that that I that I saw that maybe showed up later um, with some of the, the you know the news and the social media and how everything was um, projected. But very little of it at that time. We're talking to Todd Whitehurst, who was a 1995 replacement Met. Uh, you slowly make your climb up the minor league ladder in '95. You're in the New York Mets system. Some of your teammates then were Jay Payton, Vance Wilson. You're 22 years old in 1994, playing for Pitt. And, you know, the reason why I ask is because it sets up the next question. Do you remember what your salary was when you were playing for the Pittsville Mets? Probably six, maybe $600 a month. And it's funny you bring up Jay Payton. He was my roommate um, up in Pittsfield that summer. And I'm um, coming out of Georgia Tech with uh, Nomar Garcia-Para. But um, I believe $600. And after taxes and after you pay your rent and food and everything, you might have 20 bucks in your pocket. Wow. All right, so when did you hear of the owner's plans to hire replacement players for the 95 season? So for us, I think it was I, – I didn't really hear anything because I went to Instructional League – right after Pittsfield and um, perform well there. And then we end up, I, I think we showed up a little bit early in February. And it was kind of all of a sudden. Um, I think they went to us after they knew some of these other players weren't just cutting it. I mean, the talent level wasn't there. They're getting hurt. They're not putting a good product on the field. So I would say probably end of March is when we started getting approached um, from minor league, you know, director, um, coaches, managers that are um, overlooking the minor leagues, they started kind of like shoulder tapping people and saying, hey, we're thinking about this. Would you be interested? And who approached you to be a replacement player, and what were they offering money-wise to a person who was, you know, basically, you know, having $20 in his pocket at the end of the month? So I was approached by Steve Phillips. Um, Steve approached me in, in the locker room and said, hey, you know, this is what we're going to offer you. It's going to be a uh, – it was almost like we're voluntold. It was almost like, you know, when you're going through the minor league system, you do as they say. You know, we're not protected by unions. We're not protected by um, anybody. You're kind of – you know, you see major leaguers, you're there in spring training with major leaguers, you get to rub elbows with them, you get to share their experiences, but 
you really succumb to your your minor league manager and the people that you know give you marching orders and on where you're supposed to go and how you're supposed to behave and this is what you're supposed to do. So it was almost like this feeling of uh, it's like you're you're being voluntold. You're kind of like, hey, you're going to help us out. We think you're going to do good. You're going to be um, you're going to be seen a little bit more. You're going to get some better instruction. And by the way, here's five thousand dollars. And then when you're done, um, you know, there's another five thousand dollars. So it's like you're thinking, you know, 22 years old, you're just going out there and, and doing what you're told and, and saying, hey, I can go over there and, and make a little money and get some instruction and become a better baseball player. How much pressure was there on you not to sign and do this from, from the union players and the minor league players who are not unionized? You know, I thought about that question. That's a very good question. And there wasn't a lot of pressure. I think... Um, we did meet with somebody in a, in a hotel lobby for about 30 minutes, but it wasn't like we were getting a phone call. It wasn't like they were meeting us at the at our locker rooms or on the field um, taking BP or taking ground balls. I mean, I don't remember having a personal conversation with anybody um, from the major league level or the players' union or stewards or whoever is is governing that association. It was almost like cut off, removed. It was like we were singled out. We were, um, you know, again, this is my perspective. Everything that I that I went through, um, and I'm sure other players had different perspectives, but. We um, we did what we were told, and I don't remember a lot of pressure. In in your heart of hearts, so you decide to do this, you sign, you go, and it's all during spring training, replacement players. In your heart mm-hmm. of hearts, did you ever think the strike would last long enough that you would go into the regular season or just say, you know what, I think this is just going to be a spring thing, we'll see what happens? I think we were always looking over, for me, I was looking over my shoulder like, okay, this is going to end tomorrow. Okay, is it going to end the next day? Is it going to end a week later? Um, so... In my heart of hearts, I did not feel like it was going to go, you know, two two months into the season. We'd be playing in April and May. I, I really didn't feel that. I think um, some of us hoped or maybe thought, hey, we could do that. Um, but I, I really didn't feel like it was going to last that long. I think once we took the field, um, the – the play got better. Um, you saw better baseball. Again, these are single A, double A, triple A guys, former major leaguers. Um, you know, playing with Sean uh, Sean Abner. Um, you know, there's a there's a plethora of them um, that came by, and there was never any like, hey, you shouldn't do this. Um, you're kind of on your own. Um, you you got to do this for your own reasons and. There wasn't really a lot of organization around uh, making decisions to play or play night, but I did not think it was going to go that long. Now, the replacement Mets, as the New York papers called them, uh, struggled on the field even against some of the other replacement squads. They started 0-9, a stretch that included a no-hitter at the hands of the Braves. Uh, you guys didn't hit a home run until ninth game of the season. Interesting to note that Dallas Green was the manager of the replacement Mets. Um, he was also a former player. He was also not, you know, a guy that you would describe as warm and fuzzy. During that 0-9 stretch, what was he like, and what was his relationship like with the replacement players? So I think I showed up a little bit. I don't know if I was there during that 0-9 stretch. Um, I believe I was maybe the middle of the way through. Um, 
what was he like? Um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. He was kind of removed. It was um, authoritarian. Um, you know, he would laugh a little bit. He would try to teach, um, but there wasn't really a personal connection. I know when you come up through the minor leagues, you're able to kind of like talk to your manager on the side. Hey, what, what am I doing wrong? What do you see? What do I need to work on? I didn't feel like there was any of that there. I felt like he was kind of doing a job, kind of saying what he had to say, kind of being out there, but you could feel um, whether somebody's genuine or not, whether, you know, somebody wants to really, you know, get to know you a little bit better and build rapport with you, and I didn't see any of that. Believe it or not, some of the preseason games were televised back then. I actually remember watching them as well. Um, And this is way before the age of social media. When you were playing in these games that were televised, and I don't even know if you, you probably didn't have a cell phone back then if you were only pocketing $20 at the end of the month, but were you getting phone calls at home and saying, hey, I just saw you on TV, Yo, you, you're playing with the Mets? Oh, I did. I got a couple phone calls. Um, there was a game against the Royals, I think a few against the Marlins, the Dodgers, and the Braves. And so people were contacting me at my hotel where I was staying at. Um, I did not have a cell phone. Um, there wasn't social media where people can instantly you know, notify you and say, hey, I just saw you. Um, so, yes, I was getting some phone calls and saying, hey, I saw you. You look good. You know, in looking at the annals of weird injuries, and we've seen a lot in baseball, <laughs> You know, people cut their hands cutting stakes and other weird things. I came across a mention uh, during the time <laughs> you were playing as a replacement. It said you were out for a couple of days because of red ant bites. What can you tell us about that? So we're getting ready to play the the Dodgers over there um, in Vero Beach. I'm getting ready to take the field, and all of a sudden I just started breaking out in hives, and I think what it was was it wasn't red ant bites. I think I had ate something uh, looking back. I think it just gave me an allergic reaction. So, you know, when you have you kind of go into a little anaphylactic shock and you eat something, um, your tongue starts to swell, your throat starts to swell, and you can't breathe, and so... They immediately gave me Benadryl, and of course, I'm like, I can't take grounders. I can't go out there and hit. I probably should have. I uh, may have made have hit the ball a little bit better, but um, but no, I, I didn't take the field, and and I couldn't because of uh, all the Benadryl I took. And it should not be confused with Lucas Duda and Shake Shack. This Shake Shack wasn't even around back then, so it was something else in Vero Beach. Uh, It took an injunction by then-District Court Judge Sonia Sotomayor, the future Supreme Court Justice, to end the 232-day lockout and end the walkout. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news and what your reaction was? Because it, it was close to opening day. It was. I think we were a day out. We we had flown up to um, Cleveland. We were playing the Indians at Jacobs Field. And it was around, I think, the seventh or eighth inning where they just notified us in the dugout and said, hey, this is over. You know, we got two innings left here. Um, this is it. And it looks like um, everybody's going to resume play, you know, after the ninth inning. So it was up in Cleveland at Jacobs Field. Was it devastating? I mean, you said that you didn't think it was actually going to you know, ever come to an opening day, but like you said, you were days away from opening day, when, and you're playing a game in the seventh inning, someone tells you. Was it devastating to you? So 
I, you know, for me, it was kind of like um, it was it was a happy sadness. It was a little bit devastating. But then you're thinking, okay, now I'm going to go back down to the Florida State League, and I'm just going to continue to progress. I'm continue to do good. I'm going to take this experience, um, everything I've learned here, and get better and better and better, and um, and continue to do well because hey, I'm 22 years old. I'll be 23 in April. I can still do this. I'm young. I'll take all these experiences, and it's only going to make me better. Um, and so that was my thought process going in. I know that um, they actually met. I know Benny Agbayani and a couple of the players, Brian Dovak, um, played on that team. And they came up to me because there was a hotel meeting just, I think, within a couple days, and they invited everybody in. Um, and I was trying to get into that meeting because it was all the replacement players, like you're saying. And um, the GM at that time, Joe McElvain, was there, and he was passing out checks to everybody. And I think it was like 20 grand, 10, 15, 20, 20 grand. And I went up to him. I guess I was told, hey, can you go talk to him and, and see what you can find out? Are we getting any of that money? And we were told no, that that was only for the players who were going home and going back to their regular jobs and not continuing professional baseball. So that's, that's how all that ended, um, you know, very abruptly. Wow. Uh, when you look back, finally, on your time in professional baseball, what uh, stands out the, as the biggest moment as a replacement met? I would say coming up with a game-winning hit. I had a couple of them. I think had a game-winning hit against the Royals. Um, putting on a jersey, putting on that um, that uniform. I always took a lot of pride in it. Um, you know, if I had to do it over again, um, I probably wouldn't have played. Um, knowing knowing kind of the outcome and knowing the things that um, I didn't know at that time when I was 23 years old. And I also think. Um, now, with the, in the age of social media, I don't think we come anywhere close to that. Um, I don't. I don't think that minor league players go and play replacement games. I don't think you'll see that ever again. I agree. Do you, do you still have that Met jersey? I do. Awesome. I do have that Met jersey. I have it put away in a drawer. Oh, you got to get it out of a drawer and you got to frame that. Come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I should. Yeah, you That's definitely a good idea. should. Yes, you definitely do. And we're going to call you in two or three weeks to make sure you get that done. Look for the picture posted uh, on social yeah, media. Yeah, on social media. And as yeah. well, um, and just lastly, you traded in that Met uniform for a uniform of a different type, right? That's correct. Yep. You want to tell our audience yep. what you do today? Sure. I'm a police officer with the Palo Alto Police Department um, right next to Stanford University. So um, I enjoy it. Um, it's a challenge, but I enjoy every day, and I enjoy the team that I work with. We all get to put on uniforms. We're in a locker room. Um, some of the same things, I think, that happens in professional sports, um, the camaraderie, um, leaning on somebody to um, not only be there when, when you need your life you know, saved or to protect yourself, um, but working together as a team and working together and um, building something special. So that's, uh, that's my, my team now. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time tonight, Todd. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Todd Whitehurst, member of the 1995 Replacement Mets.